Hey there, all you serial killer fanatics. I'm Amanda. And I'm Corey. Welcome back to Serial Killer Tuesday. This is part three of our David Berkowitz series. And the last part, just so you know. Uh, Here's a little fact. Very few serial killers turn themselves in. Only Ed Kemper called the police to confess. He waited at a telephone booth to be picked up. Ooh, that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. My voice sounded like, attention, Walmart shoppers. <laughs> <laughs> Mine sounds stuffy. <laughs> this is our first week back after recording, after mm-hmm. I was doing my program, and, and they got me all sick. I'm sorry about that. It's okay. It's like living in a Petri dish. Mm-hmm. It is. Kids are the worst. You know, it's a good thing they're so much fun. Mm, right? So, David Berkowitz is an American serial killer who murdered six people in New York City between 1976 and 1977. He also wounded about nine others. This sent the city into a panic and unleashed one of the biggest manhunts in New York history. David Berkowitz was arrested on August 10th, 1977, just 11 days after his last murder. David is serving six consecutive life sentences at a maximum security facility in Wallkill, New York. So as you guys remember, we talked about some of David's other murders in our last episode and the letters that he sent. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. It had been a little under a month when the next shooting happened. It was June 26, 1977, when 20-year-old Salvatore Lupe, who worked for a mechanic, and 17-year-old Judy Placido, who had just graduated from high school, had left the Elfa's discotheque in Bayside, Queens. They were sitting in Lupe's car at about 3 a.m. All of these shootings just prove the fact that nothing good happens after midnight. Nope. So, they were sitting in the car just after 3, when three gunshots blasted through Lupe's car. Lupe was wounded in the forearm, and Judy was shot in the right temple, shoulder, and the back of the neck. They both thankfully survived their injuries. Lupe said that they had been talking about the Son of Sam case right before the shots were fired. Neither of them had seen their attacker, but witnesses in the area reported that there was a tall, stocky man with dark hair fleeing the scene. One witness claimed to see him leaving in a car and even supplied a partial license plate number. They also claimed to see a blonde man with mustache driving in the area. But police decided that the blonde man was just a witness and that they were looking for the dark-haired man. Well, nothing happened on July 29th, as you know in the previous letter, except for me being born. So Happy birthday! I guess we'll, thank you. I guess we'll go on to July 31st, in which the final shooting happened. It was early in the morning on the 31st, which was a Sunday. Stacy Moskowitz, who was a clothing salesperson, and Robert Volante, who were both 20 at the time, were sitting in Volante's car. The car was parked under a streetlight near the city park in Bath Beach, and it was the ending of their very first date. They were in the car kissing when a man approached them and came within three feet of the passenger side, firing four rounds into the car. Both victims were struck in the head. Robert ended up losing his left eye, and Stacy lost her life. Interestingly enough, Stacy was the only victim who didn't have dark hair. Hers was blonde. 
There were several witnesses that were able to give descriptions of the shooter to the police. One of them described the man as looking like he was wearing a wig, which could account for the varying descriptions from others. Several other witnesses saw a man who fit Berkowitz's description wearing a wig and driving a yellow car. Police decided to investigate people who owned yellow cars. David owned a yellow car, but he was originally pegged as a witness and not a suspect. That night, Detective John Fulodico was awakened at his home and told to report to work. He was given two weeks to solve the case as a normal murder investigation, and if he couldn't, then he was to turn the case over to the Son of Sam task force. That night, a local resident named Cecilia Davis was walking her puppy close to the scene where Stacy and Robert were shot. She saw a patrol officer named Michael Cantonio ticketing a car that was parked near the fire hydrant. A little while later, after the traffic officer left, a young man walked past her from around the area of the car and seemed to study her with some interest. Davis said she felt concerned because he looked like he was holding some kind of dark object in his hand. She decided to run back to her home. While she was heading home, she heard shots being fired behind her. She remained silent about this experience for four days until she finally decided to contact the police. I wonder why she didn't say anything. I don't know. You're being chased and shot at, kind of? like. Yeah, and uh, there's like a mass murderer on the loose. Don't you think that? (laughs) Right? You're like, like, hey guys, you're in my neighborhood. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She's like, never mind. (laughs) Right. The police closely checked all of the cars that had been ticketed in the area that night. And wouldn't you know it? Berkowitz's yellow 1970 Ford Galaxy was among the cars they investigated. On August 9, 1977, NYPD Detective James Justice called the Yonkers Police Department and asked them to schedule an interview with David Berkowitz. The Yonkers dispatcher, a woman named Wee Carr, what a terrible name. Well, you know, she was born in the 60s, so... (laughs) (laughs) It's like... Congratulations. Wheat. Like right. hay bread. Excuse me, grass. Uh, gravel, are you here? Nice to meet you, Sam. <laughs> uh, anyway, back to Wheat Carr. She was the person who took Justice's call. She was the daughter of Sam Carr and the sister of Berkowitz's alleged cult confederates. John and Michael Carr. They named their sons normal names, but her wheat. Right. <laughs> like, you guys were like, nah. Mm. We want our kid, one of our kids to grow up to be a hippie. <laughs> as soon as Justice mentioned the name David Berkowitz, Wheat said, let me tell you about him. I know him. He lives right behind me. She also informed him that David had shot and wounded their black lab named Harvey and Harvey was her father Sam's dog. Even their dog has a normal name? Yeah, I know. Poor Wheat. <laughs> it's like one of those names that you grow up to change because you're like... <sighs> right? I would change it anyways because I don't want to be involved in the David Berkowitz. I mean, fair. Mm-hmm. I would probably change it from Wheat to Gluten. <laughs> Gluten-free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> when Justice heard the name Sam, he had a pretty good feeling that David was the man that they were looking for. Justice asked Yonkers for some help tracking down David. According to Police Sergeant Michael Novotny, the Yonkers PD had some suspicions about David in connection with some strange crimes that had happened in their jurisdiction that were also referenced 
in one of the Son of Sam letters, Yonkers investigators told Justice that David might even be the Son of Sam. On August 10, 1977, police investigated David's car, which was parked outside his apartment building at 35 Pine Street in Yonkers. They saw a gun in the back seat. When they searched the car, they found a duffel bag filled with ammunition, maps of the crime scenes, and a threatening letter addressed to Inspector Timothy Dowd, who worked the Son of Sam task force. Police decided that they would wait for David to leave the apartment building instead of risking a violent confrontation in the building's narrow hallway. They also waited to obtain a search warrant for David's apartment. They didn't want their search to be challenged in court. The initial search of the car was based on the fact that they saw a gun in the back seat. Although, possession of the gun was legal in New York State and didn't require a special permit, the warrant still hadn't arrived when David was seen leaving the building and getting into his car at 10 p.m. Detective John Fletico approached the driver's side and pointed his gun close to David's temple, while Sar- Detective Sergeant William Gardella pointed his gun from the passenger side. There was a paper bag found next to David that contained a 44 caliber Bulldog revolver. David stated, Well, you got me. He had a very big smile on his face. Now that I've got you, Detective Politico said to the suspect, who have I got? You know, the man said, and what the detective remembered was a soft, almost sweet voice. The detective responded, no, I don't. You tell me. The man turned his head and said, I'm Sam. The detective said, you're Sam? Sam who? And the suspect said, Sam, David Berkowitz. Politico was officially credited by the NYPD as the arresting officer of the son of Sam. Police searched David's apartment and found it in complete disarray. There was satanic graffiti on the walls. In their search, they found diaries that had been kept since he was 21, three stenographer notebooks that were nearly full. In them, David had meticulously noted hundreds of arsons that he claimed to have set throughout New York City. Some of the sources have speculated that the number might be over 1,400. Soon after David's arrest, his apartment building changed from 35 Pine Street to 42 Pine Street in an attempt to end its notoriety. But people still knew. And they also still knew because they printed it. Like, it's right there. We just said it. <laughs> They're like, um, guess what? Um, John Benny Ramsey's parents did that also. Changed their address and people still knew. Yep. They uh they petitioned the city and everything. It was a whole thing. Mm. Um, but they peti- petitioned the city to get their address changed and they were successful. But I mean, people still drive by. You still know. Right. And it's such a um large, loud house. Yeah, it's it's very mm-hmm. distinct. Mm-hmm. Well, David was interrogated for about 30 minutes early on August 11th, 1977. He quickly confessed to the shootings and had some interest in pleading guilty. I mean, smart. This investigation was led by John Keenan. If you remember, that was Rosemary Keenan's father. And he took the con- confession, which is a little bit weird. While David was be being questioned. Some- yeah, exactly. That's what I was just thinking. That could be some shady yeah. I don't think that's really allowed. No. While David was being questioned, he claimed that his neighbor's dog was one of the many reasons that he killed. He said that the dog demanded the blood of pretty young girls. 
Weird. He also mentions that the Sam in the first letter was his former neighbor, Sam Carr, and the dog was Sam's and was possessed by an ancient demon, which issued commands to David to kill people. After he was arrested, David was allowed to communicate with the press. Oh, that makes sense. So on September 19th, 1977, a letter printed by the New York Post alludes to his original story of demonic possession. But he closed the letter with a warning that has been interpreted by some of the investigators as an admission of criminal accomplices. Quote, there are other sons out there. God help the world. End quote. However, in a press conference in February of 1979, David declared that his previous claims of demonic possession were a hoax. He revealed that after meeting with his court-appointed therapist, he had long contemplated murder to get revenge on a world he felt had wronged him. Crazy people. I mean, he also was schizophrenic, so. Right, yeah. David had three separate mental health exams to prove that he was competent to stand trial. Despite this, his attorney advised him to plead not guilty by reason of insanity, and he refused. He appeared in court on May 8, 1978, and pleaded guilty to all of the shootings. At his sentencing two weeks later, however, he caused an uproar when he attempted to jump out of a window of the seventh-floor courtroom. After he was restrained, he repeatedly chanted that Stacy, who was his last victim, was a whore and that he would, quote, kill her again. I'd kill them all again, end quote. The court then ordered another competency eval before they would continue with sentencing. And again, he was found competent. Finally, on June 12, 1978, David was sentenced to 25 years to life for each of the six murders, and the sentences were to be served consecutively. He was ordered to serve his sentence in Attica. And despite Ooh. the prosecution's objections, his sentence was able to come up for parole in 25 years. In 1979, there was an attempt on David's life. His neck was slashed on the left side from the left to the right. He refused to identify his assailant and claimed that he was grateful for the attack. He served about a decade in Attica and then was transferred to Sullivan Correctional Facility for a number of years. Then he mm -hmm. was transferred to Shawanagunk Correctional Facility, where he remains today. There is a website that is maintained by a church group on David's behalf, as he is not allowed access to a computer. Uh, okay. He stays involved with the prison ministry and regularly counsels troubled inmates. He is entitled to a parole hearing every two years as mandated by the state. He consistently refuses to ask for his release. Sometimes he skips the hearings altogether. Before his first parole hearing in 2002, he actually wrote a letter to the governor of New York at the time, George Padake, demanding that the hearing be canceled. In the letter, he stated, quote, in all honesty, I believe that I deserve to be in prison for the rest of my life. I have, with God's help, long time ago, come to terms with my situation, and I have accepted my punishment, end quote. Can you imagine? Interesting. You're like, uh, Berkowitz, it's a parole hearing. He's like, nah, I don't want to go. It's a hard no for me, dog. They're like, uh, what? He's like, nah, I'm good. I no, don't, I don't go. want to. I'm sleeping in today. Right. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> sometimes he goes and he's like, I don't want to get out. They're like, what? 
Please like, leave no, me starving. in here. The cookies are delicious. To life. <laughs> Interesting. Mm-hmm. Consecutively. He, mu- he must still think that he's a danger to society. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure. I mean, in I mean, all honesty, he probably is. Oh, absolutely. And imagine going into prison in 19, you know, the late 70s and coming out now in the, in 2023. Yeah. Like, you, the mean, world is couldn't. completely different. Mm-hmm. Well, kids, that is the end of season two of The Son of Sam. Make sure that you tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time for an all-new month of Serial Killers. May, we will begin season three of Serial Killer Tuesday. and It'll be featuring Israel Keys. So I'm super excited for that one. If you guys mm-hmm. don't know about him, you guys should really look forward to this because Israel Keys was insane and had like murder mm-hmm. buckets and it's going to be, mm-hmm. May's going to be a good month. But if you have any questions you would like us to answer, please send those in. Thank you all so much for listening to Serial Killer Tuesday. We hope that you have a wonderful day wherever you are. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and the YouTube, Facebook, and the YouTube. We do have a YouTube channel, um, Colorado Crime. Until next time, podcastians, have the day you deserve.